Welcome back to another episode of the Preble Hall Naval History Podcast. I'm Claude Barabee, Director of the Naval Academy Museum. Uh, since this is coming out on Christmas Day, our, I hope our listeners will appreciate a little different take we're going to do this week. And we have interviewed historians, practitioners, authors. Uh, in a few cases, we've also interviewed some midshipmen who have worked on special projects. But I'm going to do a little different this time. And I've asked a few of my students from the Naval History class, the Plebe Naval History class, class of 1920, it's not 1926, it's 2026. I, I think it's important for Americans and also our international listeners to understand that our midshipmen come in here with the Naval History class is taught to all midshipmen, all plebes, all freshmen, if you will, in regular colleges and universities. And uh, it's to provide them with a basic survey. Some can continue on and take more specific courses on the Vietnam War or the War of 1812. But this is really is their first exposure to naval history. So I would like our listeners to understand who our midshipmen are and how they integrate this, this uh, learning in their overall program here at the Naval Academy. So I'm going to start off to my right. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves by giving us your name, where you're from, why'd you come to the Naval Academy like we did on the first day of class. My name is Midshipman 4th Class Hayden Fulham. I'm from Houston, Texas. And why I came to the Naval Academy? Uh, that's a deep question. They ask you that a lot over plebe summer to motivate you. And I'd say my main reason is I just wanted to do something different. Um, never had much of a family history in the military. This is just something I thought I wanted to do and would give me the best setup for my future and to make an impact on the world. Uh, Midshipman fourth class, Anthony Cervini. I'm from Vineland, New Jersey. And the reason why I wanted to come to the Naval Academy was because I wanted to challenge myself, but I also wanted to serve my country as many people in my family have gone and done before me. Uh, ultimately, I did not make it here my first try. I was waitlisted and I didn't think about anything else besides this place in that, that year while I was reapplying. So it means quite a lot for me to be here today. And I'm just looking forward to everything that comes next. My name is Midshipman Fourth Class Kelly Erickson. I'm from Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, my wise for family. I feel like you can go into the military a lot of ways. There's many different ways to serve. But when it comes to the Naval Academy, there's no place where you're going to have such a connection as you will with everyone here. Everyone's pushing everyone to make you better, to make them better, and to make the service better. Real quick, around the table, what is your intended major if you haven't already selected it? My intended major is political science. Uh, I would say robotics. Foreign yeah. area studies. Okay. So it's interesting. It's good because none of you are going to be history majors. So, you know, for you blue and gold officers out there or, or family members, uh, this is something that's offered to everybody. So I'm going to ask you, now that you have taken a semester of naval history, what is the value that that course brings to you in your academics, either here at the Naval Academy or what you think it might do for uh, you in the fleet. And I'm going to go around the other side of the table. Ms. Erickson. Um, I think it's less about the major battles and more about just the critical thinking you get from everything. The overarching, slow, the overarching lessons you learn uh, from different naval battles and from different eras of history just allows you to just be more analytical and uh, better critical thinker. It also allows you to have like more open discussions and debates and just work with people around you with different views. Mr. Savini. Absolutely. I'd have to agree with Ms. Erickson on that one. But on top of that, I would say I, I learned how big of a factor luck plays in these major battles, especially in World War II with 
Battle of Coral Sea, Battle of Midway. Uh, it wasn't something that I had thought about. You know, you always think how everything's planned out, but not everything always goes according to plan. And that's something that I've been applying in my life here every day at the academy since taking this course. All right, Mr. Fulham. As uh, Dr. Barabee once said in class, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the grades aren't in yet, are they? <laughs> he, was, he was talking about a Chinese admiral that came and saw the museum and how much he knew about our own history and how it's vital that we know our history just as well as the enemy. And, you know, we all take American history in high school. We all have a base knowledge of it. But this class is important, and the reason it is a core class is to really go into the depth of it and really understand and be able to apply that naval history like during your time in the fleet because you never know when it might save you or your your soldiers' lives. You know, at, at the beginning, oh, I, was, I guess it was about a year into this podcast, I interviewed Admiral Buck, who's the superintendent of the Naval Academy, and a number of other senior uh, staff from the Naval Academy about COVID. You three experienced education in a different way during high school. And I would like you to help me understand how your learning in high school either made, either made it better or more difficult for your first semester here at the Naval Academy. And if you can provide some specific examples, that'd be awesome. Mr. Savini, who wants to go first? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, I would say experiencing my last year of high school in the COVID era definitely impacted me, especially, I would say, in the mathematical area because I took calculus my senior year of high school, but it was 100% online and not much teaching was really done. So it was kind of a struggle to make it through all those end of the year exams, you know, learning everything yourself. Um, And it definitely made a big impact on me here, especially my first semester. So it felt like I've been playing catch up but I definitely didn't lose my work ethic. I mean, it's, it was a common occurrence for everybody. They got pretty lazy because not much was expected from them with, uh, you know, at-home or virtual learning. But, yeah, definitely definitely feeling the setback now. Um, like I said, playing catch-up, but definitely didn't lose that work ethic, so I'm getting back up there. Ms. Um, I have to agree with Mr. Cervini. It was definitely a hard hit in a lot of my different subjects just because there wasn't much teacher interaction. Uh, You had the slides, you maybe had Canvas, Blackboard, whatever your school used, but that was about it. Uh, A lot of this first semester hasn't been learning new material. It's been learning the material I should have known in the first place. Um, But one thing I will add on to that is it helped me work as a team, believe it or not. Uh, While there wasn't much resources from the school itself, I did have my classmates that were in the same subjects. So we actually were able to come together, communicate. Uh, Believe it or not, we did a lot of group projects in that setting and just the Zooms and learning how to work with different people and use different talents in different subjects to all like get to the same end goal of having a good semester was really valuable. Mr. Fulham. Um, coming from Houston, I'll say I think my high school experience during COVID was a little different from everybody else. I was actually in person. It's a Texas is a lot less restrictive than, say, New Jersey. And um, so I was actually in person my whole junior year. And But I will still say they like the, the school definitely had a different feel to it. And they definitely took it easier on us, I want to say, um, Tests were almost open internet almost all the time. It was, 
it was just really laid back and there was no paper. It was all online and it was it was hard to retain the same material. Yeah, I think that's what I found and I didn't realize it until the end of the semester when I asked you guys about, you know, how many of you have done research, 10-page research papers or even research papers and almost all the hands went up and I was like, oh boy. It's probably, it's a question I should have asked at the beginning of the semester, understanding how COVID hit us all. Uh, do you think that is something that's, you know, you're going to be a poli-sci major, you're going to be foreign area study, uh, so you'll both be doing more papers, Mr. Fulman and Ms. Erickson. Do you think that you will be able to do that catch-up? I mean, for, let's assume that there are a number of professors who listen to this, and there are actually, we, we, we do have emails from professors and teachers. How how can you best overcome that, or have you already? Is it simply practice? What is it that you need to do, or or to convey to your your future professors? I will say I think plebe summer definitely made a big difference for me. It kind of refocused me and um, kind of made me focus yeah focus a bit more and regain my work ethic. I found myself a lot more productive at the start of this year or this, my first semester in college than I was at the end of my senior year. Uh, so that definitely helped. And I'm actually really glad we're doing the 10-page research paper, which it can be, it's, it's been a bit of a grind, definitely. Um, I don't always know what I'm doing, writing in Chicago style. I've never done that before. But I'm glad I'm doing it because I know, like you said, that's going to be a big part of what I hope to major in. And so I appreciate the experience in that. Ms. Honestly, I feel this situation is a lot about what the first semester and just all of plebe year is for. It's like everyone has a different 100% coming into this place, and the Naval Academy and the detailers and the professors for your plebe year get you to the right 100% that you need to get into that fleet. So I feel like um, one of the best things that's, at least for me, has worked within both my research paper in history and my research paper in government is breaking it up. When your professor has those assignments that's not just this is the due date for the paper, but this is the due date for the bibliography, this is the due date for the outline, this is when you have to have your five pages done, it helps just have that accountability. It allows you to pace yourself instead of waiting all until the last second. For uh, Now, there'll be some you know high school students who listen to this as well, or maybe their parents who are interested in applying to the Naval Academy. I want to start off with, let's see, Mr. Savini, tell us about you know, what's the application process? We get a lot of questions about that, and so we just forward, you know, usually the emails to uh, the admissions department. But what's it like for you? What was it like for you to apply to the Naval Academy? So for me, nobody from my high school has ever come here before. Um, so I, my, my first and second time around, really, I was on my own, and it was really tough to figure it out all by myself, uh, especially when you have people from your guidance department telling you it's not going to happen and then and then getting denied i was you know i was really beside myself but the application process i would say the best piece of advice and something that many applicants have probably already heard before is the start everything early and make sure that the admissions board knows who you are i mean it doesn't hurt to send an email to them explaining um maybe like where you're at in the process, uh, if maybe they've received documents that you're still waiting to see, maybe if they're still in that pending status on your application portal, the more you reach out and the more you make yourself known, I feel like the, the better chance you're going to have. I mean, that, that's what I did my second time around. And 
obviously I'm here today, <laughs> which feels you know, beyond amazing. But definitely just be yourself in your interviews because I was trying to be somebody that you know my parents wanted to be. I was I wasn't I wasn't really myself in my interviews, and I think that really that really showed. And there, the admissions board is very good at you know sniffing out who's ready to be here and who's not. And I was not ready to be here last year, but I grew up a lot over that that time period. I spent a lot of time alone, just working on myself and just preparing myself for what it means to be at the Naval Academy. And during your admissions process, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot. And I remember feeling that that stress during the entire cycle. And it doesn't go away once you get here, um, but it does get better. So just keep that in mind. Don't forget who you are as you're applying here. That's a great piece of advice, Mr. Fulham. So you've got a high school student who's never really, who doesn't know anything about the Naval Academy. Start the process of what's the first step do you take? That's uh, that's a great question, especially for me, because I did end up applying really late. I, didn't, I honestly didn't even finish mine until it was almost due in January. Like I turned it so in like at the last paper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd say start by doing your research. Make sure you really want to be here. There's a lot of great summer programs here. You can be a drag. You can do summer What's STEM. What's a drag? For a, those drag. Um, a drag is basically it's a high school student that will come here. Um, you have to apply, and if you get it, you can come here. And there will be a whole program for your parents. They'll inform your parents on a lot of stuff. And the drag themselves will follow a plebe around for I believe two nights, three days, kind of. They'll leave um, Saturday morning, and they'll show up Thursday night. And so... Um, and they come to class? Come to class. They can come to the morning workouts if they want. They can get kind of the full plebe experience. Okay. Um, and I, I definitely recommend that if you truly want to, truly uh, have interest in coming here. Yeah, there's a lot of good summer programs, too, the, you know, the summer STEM programs, right. et cetera. Uh, Ms. Erickson, what... <clears throat> who do you apply to? Who do you who do you send a message to? Is it the admissions board first, or is it member of Congress? What do they do? Honestly, I did a lot of things out of order, but I feel like kind of the best way to do everything is find someone in your life that has some knowledge on it, and that's not always going to be easy. For me, I had to explain what the Naval Academy was to my guidance counselors. Um, it's not always easy, depending on where you live. But just reach out, communicate early and often. It's a saying you hear a lot here at the Naval Academy. Email the admissions board, email blue and gold officers, research if anyone from your school has ever gone here and shoot an email. I can promise you there is not a single midshipman that has ever been at the Naval Academy or is still at the Naval Academy that would not be happy to respond to an email from someone trying to get in. What's a blue and gold officer? So a blue and gold officer is a person who's actually going to come to you and do your initial interview to get in here. They are not here for your congressional nomination, which is a separate portion of the application. This is the person that's directly connected with the Naval Academy that is going to honestly essentially tell them yay or nay. They have this odd insight into your character, and they will know whether you want to be here or not. So... Something that we get asked a lot by visitors from around the world and really around the country is once you get the congressional nomination, that's it, right? No? Okay, Mr. Savini. Let me uh, take a crack at this. <laughs> um, you need at least one nomination source to get in here, and I'm pretty sure that's common knowledge to everyone. But so a member of Congress, a senator, vice president, or president. Right. And there's a few other little minor cases too. Right. Um, but just because you secure a nomination – 
does not guarantee that you're going to make it here because last year um, I got a nomination, but ultimately I was waitlisted. And then same thing, my second application cycle, I got the nomination, but I wasn't 100% certain that anything would come from it. Um, but like I, like I said before, you have to have at least one nomination to make it here, and that's really important that you crush those interviews, especially your congressional one, because that one definitely holds a lot of weight. Let's get back to the the uh, naval history portion now, and and talk about uh, what it's like to study naval history. Uh, you, this I mean, this was your first semester in call in a college level class. Uh, you know, for high school students who are interested in applying to naval academy, what's what was the favorite part you had in this class, Mr. Fulham? I'd say my favorite part that you get here that you won't get on any other college or at any other college is definitely the war game. Um, we did multiple war games, all of them. They're, they're a blast. It's like playing a board game, but, I mean, you learn something in the process, and it, it's like there's a deeper level of thinking to it, and it was, it was really a great experience. Um, Tell us more about the war games, or at least one of the war games that you did in the class. Okay, so the most recent one we did was, it was Admiral's War. Admiral's War. Admiral's War, right? And that was over uh World War Two and the battles uh the nav the naval side of the World War Two. So uh Germany, Japan, America, Britain and France and how that all kinda went down and you just got you get to kinda see the strategy behind it, see the geography behind everything and see how you would play it if if you were in that situation and knowing what you know from the past like see if history ser- like really does serve its true purpose and see if you make the same mistakes twice did it that they made did it did it change i mean how how cuz i mean you were all playing on different teams uh how i mean you what this game does for our listeners in uh, admiral's war is uh the board is the globe and you have different navies, and I had all the midshipmen assigned to different teams, and they have to make the decision. So based on what you read for your class readings, because you guys have to read every day for class, and you get lectures, what is it that you picked up from the wargaming that you didn't pick up from the readings or the lectures? Uh, I think just the importance of having experts like, whenever you play Admiral's War, it is not a single midshipman versus a single midshipman. It is groups, and then within those groups, there is a hierarchy. We have one person who plays the Admiral. We have one person who plays um, the aircraft expertise, one person who plays the ship expertise. And all of these pe- different people have just different areas of knowledge that culminate into one naval strategy. Um, and I feel like it's just really important to understand that. I didn't fully grasp that from the readings because you just kind of see in the readings, you see the overarching views and you may see one person having an issue with another, but you don't see just how difficult it is to have all these different personalities and all these different people thinking this is the most important part of the war. And then you have to culminate all of those ideas into a single strategy. Mr. Savini. I would also say something that's not always readily apparent in the readings, and especially uh, as we played the war game, we found out that it's not always about destroying every single ship rather than you know maintaining control of a certain area. Because in the reality of war, that, that is what's most important, not 
You're not going to see every war won by destroying every single last ship of an enemy's naval force. It's about you know, power projection, uh, especially in the war game. And like what ha really happened in World War II, we saw a very large concentration of battles in the Pacific. And there were always, we always had a majority of our ships over there. But the, the game is scored by victory points, which you don't get from destroying enemy ships. You get those from maintaining control of the different ports. Um, and that's something that we didn't realize until a little too late because everybody was so focused on, you know, knocking off everybody else's pieces from the board. But the reality of it is if you're, if you're able to maintain control of that area, then you're going to have a more significant advantage. Mr. Paul? Yeah, uh, definitely agree with what um, Servini said. That's completely accurate. We didn't realize that till a little later. We were a little too focused on wanting to roll roll sixes and blow everybody's ship up. But I'd say the biggest thing um, I took from the war game is probably the importance of not splitting up the fleet and the importance of uh, carriers and the role that they play. Um, I'd say they made a huge difference. It's all those dice rolls that you get from all the planes on the carriers. Why don't you split up the fleet? Where did you learn that? Alfred Thayer Mahan. All right. Mahanian principles. And you guys played another war game. Uh, was it more of a board game than a, a true war game? It was Shores of Tripoli, and it was early on in the semester. I think that was only about a month into the semester. Well, do you remember reaching back into the, the memory hall, what, what you recall from that or the lessons learned? Um, for that one... I actually played with Mr. Fulham. He was my partner on that game. And I was really trying to play it slow, uh, see what the other people wanted to do, see what the opposition was thinking of, and then attack. But he was full gung-ho. Let's just kill everyone. Um, and the thing is, is in different wars, different things are needed. Um, now, for World War II, for Admiral's War, um, the Americans got a lot more resources at the end of the war. So it was in our best interest to play it slow, to play it cautious, and then start ramping up our forces. But within Shores of Tripoli, Mr. Fulham actually had the right idea. He was fast, we were aggressive, and that's why we won. So it really depends on what resources you have, what resources you have coming down the pike. Now, we covered 250 years of uh, American naval history, and we did a little bit about international stuff really early on, like the first week. Did you have a portion of the course that you really enjoyed learning about and what you took away from it? I would say the part of the course that I really enjoyed the most, which is, which I was surprised whenever I believe you actually asked this question at the end of class, mm -hmm. if people enjoyed the, the Age of Sail. And a lot of people said no, but for me at least, I really enjoyed learning about the, the older naval warfare and some of the tactics that we use where, you know, you had these old wooden frigates crossing the T and where we wouldn't see that again successfully until I think it was the Battle of Leyte Gulf where they crossed the T. Um, I just think it's really, really important how we learn from our past mistakes and, you know, the, the battles that we fought um, against sometimes even the same enemy and how we can apply the lessons that we learned to uh, even warfare today because power projection has always been, you know, such a major component of a war. I mean, it's still today. We see it's, it's all over social media now. That's, that's our power projection now, really. Uh, you see pictures of a carrier strike group and these huge, huge ships 
with all this uh, all this new technology. But in the past, it was the same. You know, you'd have these big British frigates, you know, coming in and you know blockading all of our harbors and things like that. And I think it's just really interesting to see how, even though technology has advanced so rapidly over the past few centuries, that you know some things never really change. And I feel like you know the biggest, baddest navy is always going to try and flex a little bit, you know, as we should, because <laughs> if we don't do it, somebody else will. I'd say um, my favorite things to learn about. We're definitely towards the end of the class. World War II, Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, Cold War, <laughs> things like that. The uh, ones we didn't cover. <laughs> the ones we, we it got too close to the end of the semester. Yeah. Yeah, the ones we had to rush through a little bit, but those are definitely, definitely some of my favorite topics. Um, I'm just I've always been a really big uh, consumer and lover of American history. That was probably my favorite course in high school, and so going back to those, going back from the Civil War on, was definitely my favorite part of the class. While I loved Mahanian principles and Age of Sail and all of that, I have to somewhat agree with Mr. Fulham. Uh, World War II is definitely my favorite. I personally have always had a love for the Battle of Midway. I just think there's just so much luck, like Mr. Servini was speaking to, and skill and happenstance that went into that battle that was such a major turning point in the war. Plus, I do have a personal connection to it. Um, for those of y'all who don't know, Corpus Christi is home to the USS Lexington CB-16, which was an aircraft carrier during World War II. Uh, I, was, I worked on there for four years as a tour guide, and I also did maintenance on the ship. So getting to learn more about our history was just really, really interesting to me. Now, I asked all of you in the class to do uh, some preparation for the, the, the final exam, and I think the assumption is that you have to prepare for the final exam. But... W- What's what do you think is the most important aspect in naval warfare consistently? And I ask you guys: Is it people? Is it platforms? Is it technology? What were some of the things that you came up with? How do you intend to answer it on the final exam? People adapting. I mean, we're always going to have different technologies. We're always going to have like new things coming out but we're always going to have people looking back into history to understand how to apply it to modern day. Um, like we were talking about, uh, I don't want to get off too far of a tangent, but we were, we did another war game. Uh, could you help me remember the name of it that we did with the Naval War College? Oh, Assassin, uh, Assassin's Mace? Assassin's Mace, yeah. yes. So South China sea. when we did um, South China Sea Assassin's Mace, so it's actually about a future war that could possibly happen with China if it ever did occur. Um, and we were all midshipmen. We're current people. We're modern-day people with modern-day equipment. But we were trying to use Mahanian principles with not splitting up the fleet, and that actually almost cost us the war. So just learning how to apply old strategy to new technology is just always going to be the biggest issue. Okay. Mr. Fulham? I would agree uh, with Miss Erickson. I'd definitely say people make the biggest difference. Um, technologies will always change. There will always be uh, countries that are far superior to others technologically. And I, warfare will always change. Warfare never stays exactly the same. We see that throughout history. But the people always will stay the same. There will always be heroes. There will always be villains. There will always be people that step up kind of make that change. Those are the people we learn about through history, and those are the people that I think you know we should try to learn from. Okay, Mr. Savini. I'd like to take a trip over to my research paper. I've actually been writing about uh, the development and implementation of aircraft carriers over time, 
and um, I still got about three pages left out of ten to write. Next twenty four hours, okay, got it. But <laughs> but I would I would definitely have to agree. I would say people make the biggest impact. I mean, the first aircraft carrier we had wasn't even an aircraft carrier. It was USS Langley, an old oiler ship used to transport you know coal, some manpower, some oil, um, and we had people. Uh, Langley was named after. Langley, because he was attempting to land aircraft on other ships at sea, which is insane to think about. I mean, the technology that we have today is, you know, it it came about because people were brave enough or stupid enough to try and do something like, you know, land an airplane on a boat, you know, out in the middle of the ocean. Um, And that's, that's why aircraft carriers are, you know, one of the biggest, you know, physically, like, most intimidating platforms out there in the world because of the the mission set that it that it has i mean it can take naval naval warfare on the on the land i mean we have all these different platforms of aircraft that conduct these sorties in return they provide defense to the fleet and that's all because one man was crazy enough to have this idea and it all just took off from there to wrap it up what is the one thing you think you'll always remember from this class You'll always take it away even when you're admirals. How important luck really is. And I forget exactly how it was worded, but I think it was like success is where strategy and luck meet, strategy and preparation and luck meet. Um, because I I never counted on luck for anything, especially, you know, it, it took me two tries to get here, so I wasn't wasn't banking too much on luck. But since learning about these different battles and how, you know, our entire history could have been changed because an admiral could have decided to attack rather than refuel, you know, the Battle of Coral Sea or Battle of Midway. And I think it's just very interesting how these events are determined by sheer luck. I mean, you can prepare, you can strategize all you want, you can play whatever war game you like, but in the reality of war, luck and luck and strategy, they do come together, but some things do not always go as they're planned, and that's something that I've been struggling to deal with because I'm somebody that usually likes to plan things out. Um, I have a very like, I have a method to the madness that is, you know, three more three more pages on this essay in the less than 24 hours. Um, but that that's what it's all about. I mean, something that's something that I'm going to take with me forever after this course is. Um, just trying to adapt and overcome despite the current situation. Good. Ms. Erickson? I think for me, it's just going to be knowing your people. Everyone has a different knowledge and skill set to bring to the table, Um, and it doesn't matter how well you know your resources, how well you know your ship, how well you know the enemy. If you don't know the people working under you, beside you, and above you, you're not going to get anything done. You can have the best admiral in the world, but if he makes the wrong move and ticks off the wrong person, he's going to get taken off the map. You can be the worst ensign in the world, but if you know how to please your people and use their skill sets to the best of your ability and to the best of your fleet's ability, then you're going to be the next admiral. I'd say that the biggest thing I'm going to take away is the importance of knowing history in general. I've always thought, I've always kind of seen history as like a memorization thing. Like just memorizing facts, memorizing things that happen. But this class has kind of helped me to realize that it's like a lot more than that. It's being able to apply it 
and learn from it because if you can't learn from the past and learn from your mistakes, you'll never be better in the future. And that's what we're trying to do here. That's what these four years is about, being better in the future because one day we're going to have people relying on us. Great. I want to thank the three of you and the rest of the class. I think for our listeners, you understand why – uh, you know, certainly from a personal perspective, well, I've enjoyed teaching, you know, more than th- three, 1,300 midshipmen. And I asked for volunteers to come out and uh, and do this. And I appreciate the time that you guys have taken, especially as we head into finals. And for our listeners, uh, thanks for joining us for another episode. And since this is coming out on December 25th, I'd like to wish you and your families a happy, merry Christmas and a great new year. For all of us here at Preble Hall, we're out. <laughs>